Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. The Last Jedi Comes Home. We're breaking down the documentaries, deleted scenes, and more from the Blu-ray release of this film. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey guys, I'm your other host, Caitlin, and we are very excited to be talking about The Last Jedi behind the scenes features. I'm really excited for this episode. Um, behind the scenes featurettes are something we haven't talked about as much as I thought we would on this podcasting journey. It's so weird because I think one of our first episodes we were like talking about what we really love about Star Wars and everything mm-hmm. and Obviously, you guys know we love characters. We love dissecting characters and talking about like character journeys. But something that we did say when we had started was how much we loved behind-the-scenes featurettes. We loved Mm -hmm. the bonus contents on DVDs and Blu-ray. And it's just... um, it's really funny because I swear in in our plans when we were making all these grand plans of what Sky Talkers would be, we we're gonna like review the behind the scenes content. We we're gonna mm-hmm. talk about like documentaries and a lot of like history and someday we'll get to that. But it's funny because we've been now podcasting for like a year and a half now and it's and we haven't really we talked haven't. about I it. I know, I know, but just we <laughs> really do love behind the scenes featurettes. I mean, I remember when the Christmas that I got the trilogy, the original trilogy, actually I got all the movies that Christmas, but I got the box set special edition DVDs of the original trilogy. And it came with a whole extra like DVD that was just behind the scenes features. And I made you watch it with me on repeat for mm-hmm. the longest time. And we rewatched that like three hour documentary of all the films and George Lucas a couple of times. Like we love behind the scenes featurettes, but for some reason it just hasn't come up on the podcast yet in the way that it should have. <laughs> but that ends today because we're talking all about the last Jedi behind the scenes content. Yes. Very exciting. And it's funny on that note, um, when the Blu-ray like, final saga edition before the disney purchase came out it was so exciting that like you open up that book and there's three whole discs of behind the scenes footage and it's like great it's everything like compiled from all of the movies which is awesome and then and then some but Mm -hmm. um yeah man i love behind the scenes stuff it like sometimes i swear I feel like, Caitlin, you have maybe, maybe like three years ago, you would have probably said that you have seen more behind the scenes things than like actual Star Wars movies. Yeah, I feel like, (laughs) I mean, they've always been my favorite. That was something I was always really attracted to in the Star Wars universe was the creation of Star Wars and just how it's transcended like so much. It's just like Mm -hmm. on a whole other level. I think it's so interesting. And Now it's that much more interesting because we've talked about this before about how the people making Star Wars grew up in the 70s and 80s during that time period. I mean, there was a complete paradigm shift of how films were created and consumed from Star Wars. 
Um, so it's just it's it's amazing to like track those things through the original trilogy and through the prequels and now through the sequel trilogy too and through all of the you know animation <laughs> and spinoffs and anthologies and things like that. So through everything, through everything. <laughs> um, Before we dive into our review of the Last Jedi behind the scenes features, I just kind of wanted to. Caitlin and I have some like housekeeping. We have a survey that we are we've tweeted out and I'm going to put it in the show notes so you can go fill it out right now. We just really want to get our, get to know our listeners better mm-hmm. and kind of just make sure that we're producing the best content that we can and we just want to learn more about you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's a short it's like 3 to 5 minute survey, uh just like basic questions about what you like about the show, what you don't like, things you think we can improve on, things we do well, what kinds of discussions you really like hearing from us. So it's really fast and easy. Nothing is required on the survey. It's completely anonymous too, so you're not like putting in your name or anything. Um, but we've, we've already gotten um, some responses in and they've been really helpful actually. So if you have the time and would fill that out for us, we would really appreciate it um, so that we can continue making the content you guys want to hear about. So fill it out, please. Definitely. <laughs> um, it's funny because of the responses that Caitlin and I were just talking about this um, off air. The, of the responses that we've gotten, it's so funny how a lot of you really love us talking about Kylo Ren. Like, a lot of you. But <laughs> there's also, like, a lot of you that don't, and it's just really funny. <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting seeing the, like, the responses come in, because literally it'll be like, what do you wish Sky Talkers talked about more? And it's like, Kylo Ren. And then literally the next response is, please stop talking about Kylo Ren. <laughs> And then the next comment is, I love when you guys talk about Kylo Ren. <laughs> it's just like every other in some cases. It's 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 sending some mixed signals, I'll be honest. <laughs> but uh, listen, guys, we just got to put it out there. For those of you that don't like us talking about Kylo Ren, I'm sorry, but it's, it's like that's, ingrained that's in our – That's not going to change. I know. I know. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll try to tone it down a little bit, but like – Kylo Ren is ingrained in our Star Wars DNA at this point, so <laughs> I'm just I'm real sorry, but uh, well, I I say that it's not going to change, but I do have to say that this potentially could be our last like complete mm-hmm. the last Jedi episode before yeah. we start talking about it in kind of like in connection to the rest of the saga. Yeah, especially once we start getting episode nine content coming out and promo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, that being said, this is probably going to be our last, like, really Last Jedi-heavy episode. So anything from the future will probably be, you know, just, like, snippets and connections. And the responses are actually really great as we're kind of planning going into the next couple of months, especially once the solo, all of the solo hype has died down, what we're going to be talking about in the fall and stuff like that. So um, there'll definitely be a lot of content at that time that is not Kylo Ren-centered. So don't (laughs) worry, listeners, if that's you. Um, But yeah, yeah, please do fill out the survey. It really does help us see – what you guys are interested in hearing about from us and what you like us talking about and, you know, some things, areas that we can improve on. So we do want to, we want to grow. We want to be better for our listeners. So fill it out if you can. And thank you if you already have. Okay. So, so what did you think of the bonus content on this Blu-ray? I loved it. I was so skeptical about what we would get in this 
Blu-ray behind the scenes stuff because I was just I was pretty disappointed in the Force Awakens behind the scenes content, uh, but I was really excited for everything we got here. I remember going through all of the featurettes and the deleted scenes and the commentary and oh my god, director and the Jedi and. I was just I was really excited by how much they gave us. Um, you can you can tell that everything that Ryan has said about the behind the scenes content, it's like all it's it's like his baby <laughs> in a way. I feel like mm-hmm. he pushed for a lot of this stuff being added on the DVD, which just falls in line with everything he said about him really loving that kind of content when he was a kid too. And so he really wanted to include it in The Last Jedi. Yeah, it's so awesome. I am completely with you, especially in comparison to The Force Awakens. I Obviously, it's definitely not as much as we got with the prequels and um, mm-hmm. obviously that box set that you had just mentioned before. But I do think it's a ton and I'm overwhelmed with I've, I've watched it all now, <laughs> but I was overwhelmed with how much there was, especially with how many deleted scenes there were. Mm-hmm. Usually you get way more polished deleted scenes and like I feel like these they, there were so many different sequences that they had cut out. We'll get into this, but I I was excited to see how how much even small little snippets they included in this. Mm-hmm. And um the small little documentaries were super insightful. Sometimes the ones that they had with Revenge of the Sith or Attack the Clones um, and The Force Awakens were like only like three minutes. And yeah, there's there's several in here that are like 10 minutes. And I, I think that that really makes a huge difference. And mm-hmm. um, you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And the the documentary, which again, we'll get into, um, I it, it's it's fantastic. And so I think good. it's 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 really great. So good. So part one is going to be all about the director and the Jedi documentary. Part two is going to be on the deleted scenes. And part three is going to be on the commentary of The Last Jedi by Ryan Jadson with a little bit too about the music only version of The Last Jedi. Yep. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. So welcome to part one. Um, Here we're going to talk about The Director and the Jedi, which is this awesome documentary that was included on the Blu-ray, but also shown at South by Southwest. And it's just fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) So how does it really compare to, say, the Empire of Dreams documentary or the beginning or even the Force Awakens documentary? I think... I think it's like as good as it gets, honestly. Um, I remember I've watched the Force Awakens documentary, the one that's, that's in like four parts or something like that, a couple of times. And I like it. I really like that documentary, but I like the director and the Jedi a lot more. And I don't know if it's just a product of this one is brand new or like Last Jedi is my favorite out of you know the sequel trilogy films right now. I don't know what it is, but... I don't know. I just, I really love (laughs) this documentary. I I think too, Empire of Dreams is kind of my favorite, I think. But I think that one definitely benefits from being made after all of these films came out um, and after the original trilogy was completed. Whereas, you know, the Force Awakens documentary and Director and the Jedi, they're both, like they're very much isolated to this film that they're about Mm -hmm. um, rather than the whole trilogy. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, comes out in, like, future box sets of the sequel trilogy, what kinds of behind-the-scenes those will look like, given 
kind of the the challenges of creating a trilogy with so many different people rather than it all kind of coming from George Lucas. Mm-hmm. I I cannot wait for that like final sequel trilogy documentary. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that is definitely coming because I know that they have so much footage and it is such a large part of, I don't know, I feel like Lucasfilm slash film history now that they, they could make a really awesome documentary. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I think that this documentary is is really great. I do think that the 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 prequel documentary, the Phantom Menace documentary, the beginning is better, a little bit more honest. And um, even though this one is so yeah. honest. Yeah, I don't know. Felt- How much more honest do you get than the Mark Hamill discussion? <laughs> I think that George Lucas actually is a little bit more honest about that, about how that that one shot that you get when he's watching the movie, The Phantom Menace, in the, his little like theater, and he's like, ooh, I think I went too far in some parts. And I feel like you would never really... I don't think we would have gotten that from Ryan or any no. of the editors or anything. I think that that the beginning really showed the struggle of bringing that from paper to screen and like even more on screen. And mm-hmm. um, I, I I think that it's just a, a little bit more insightful, but I also think that there's so much to get from the director and the Jedi. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the Mark thing. So let's talk about how this, this entire documentary is called the director and the Jedi. It's basically centered around the conflict between Ryan Johnson and Mark Hamill. I, I don't know if it really is a conflict, but there, you know, that tension between Mark Hamill understanding Ryan's, you know, character choices for him. Mm-hmm. What did we think about that? It was, uh, it's, it's, it was really hard coming out of all of the the press tours with Mark and Ryan when you had Mark saying that, and then it got spun into this whole thing by people who didn't like The Last Jedi, you know, like, of course we didn't like it. Mark Hamill doesn't like it. He hates The Last Jedi. He hates what they did with Luke. How could that be right? You know, like that whole mm-hmm. story was really spun out of proportion to the point where Mark on a number of occasions was like, wow, I almost wish I hadn't said anything about it because, you know, like I didn't agree with it, but it's not my character. And I I see what Ryan Johnson was doing now, but that part of the story wasn't being told. And then to kind of have it all come up again <laughs> in this Last Jedi documentary, you're like, in in a way, it's even more intense than what it was on some of the press interviews that we saw prior to The Last Jedi and immediately following it. So um, I think it was it was really hard. But I think – I mean, I think Mark Hamill was coming to the realization about Luke that all of us had to as well. You know, um, of course, something big had to have happened to Luke Skywalker for him to be out of the picture. Of course, he was going to have faced troubles and it was necessary to remind the audience that, you know, people that we build into these mythic figures like Luke Skywalker, they're just human and humans make mistakes. Humans make big mistakes. Um, Mm -hmm. And you have to figure out how to grapple with that. I think... I'm I'm excited to go back and rewatch it. It makes me sad because um, I think Mark, you I mean, you just see him kind of walking around these sets all the time in the um, in the documentary, and it's like him kind of coming to terms with his own humanity and his own age. I, I think in a way yeah. um, that's completely different than probably it was, you know, visiting the prequel sets. Yeah, it's 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 tough because. I think you said it best about how it's really us coming to terms with like how we know 
Luke's character. And of course, we have the benefit of really only understanding this part of Luke's character and like what he was going to be from like the, the, the features that we got before the release. And we were kind of, you know, amped up to understand like that Luke wasn't the hero that we thought he was going to be in the for in, in the last Jedi. Like we heard that so many times through marketing and, um, you know, Daisy even said it at, at celebration, you know, not all your, she says something like not don't all meet, your, yeah, heroes don't meet are, your heroes. Yeah. Don't meet your heroes. Yeah. And to me, it was like one of those moments where I was like, Oh my God, like I, I can't believe they're going to go there. But when we had that time to kind of digest that as fans, at least for me, it felt like, yes, this is the right choice for him to make, mm-hmm. um, for Ryan to make. And it is so sad to see these moments, but I think, I think that where I struggle a little bit with, you know, this Mark narrative of like him saying he fundamentally disagreed with Ryan Johnson about his character is that I'm not sure that he's walking back enough on those words. Like if he's like, if he's not like, I love my performance as, as Luke. And maybe that would be lying because he just wouldn't say those things. But I do feel like there's a little bit of damage control that needs to be made. And I feel like Mark needs to be the person that's like, actually, like I, now I understand like, this is the best choice for my character. And my character made this heroic sacrifice at the end. And he became that hero that he always was. And I just, I feel like that, that we never got that from him and we're still not like fully getting that. And I, 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 that's where I personally struggle and feel free to at me about it. But I, I, I continue to see this kind of like narrative of Mark talking about how he disagreed. And it just like in the wake of all this negativity around The Last Jedi and like the audience, you know, the, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, it, it feels like there's an opportunity for him to say a little bit more about how after seeing the completed piece and understanding his character as a whole, like that he, he really feels like Ryan made the right, right choice a little bit more than he has. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Cause maybe, maybe he doesn't. And I think that's, I don't know. I think that's a really, I think it's a, it, you're right. It's okay. It's yeah. okay for him not to. Because it's not, like he said, you know, they just rented out to me. Um, that whole, I mean, like that whole interview was really sad to watch. The first one in the documentary where he was like, I fundamentally disagree, but I'm going to give it my all. And he just kind of like looks off to the side and he's like, you know, it's not my character. They just rented out to me. And he like looks down at the floor and you're like, wow. You know, <laughs> you know like, I mean, I can't imagine kind of the – they talk about this too in the documentary about the stunt work and the stunt coordinator is talking to Ram Bergman, the producer about how Mark was worried about coming back and doing stunts. And, you know, he's an old man and how is it going to be perceived on social media? Like, what are people going to say about him? And I just, I can't imagine being Mark Hamill and coming into this film um, after the force awakens. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm signed up, I'm ready to go. And then not to do anything in that film and then be like, okay, Mm -hmm. now it's my turn. Here I am. You know, because I mean, for so long, the original trilogy stars, it's like they had a renaissance with Star Wars fans in the past like 10 years because I feel like they shied away from it for a lot for a long time. um, Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher were both horribly typecast after Star Wars. Um, Harrison Ford was lucky enough that he wasn't, but. 
Mark and Carrie have always been overshadowed by Star Wars. Um, and so to like, I don't know, just like that psychological game of getting back into it. And then all of the, like the emotion of being back on those sets, like with the Millennium Falcon and with Chewie and, and then, you know, everything that happened with Carrie, like I can't, and realizing then that Luke isn't the guy you left at the end of Return of the Jedi. I don't know. I like, that's gotta be such a hard contrast for an actor, you know, to be back on the Millennium Falcon, but to not be the Luke Skywalker you were the first time both mm-hmm. as the character and the actor. I don't know. I just feel like that puts you in such a hard place. And of course you would want to come back as the like heroic guy, but that's not reality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I think Mark needs to say more. I understand what you're saying. I don't know if I, I don't know if I need more from him. Maybe I do. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if I need anything from Mark at this point about, you know, how he feels about this anymore. I think we have this documentary and it's great. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't, I, and I know that they're going to continue to ask him about it like forever now mm-hmm. that he said those things. And I think that's kind of, I, I just, I, I struggle with it a little bit yeah. and I, I don't want to dwell on it, but, it's- um, and I do think that it's, it's, it's really interesting because Carrie has always felt such a sense of pride for her character of Leia and everything. And, um, I do, I think that Mark also feels that way about Luke in in a separate way. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're two different people with two different two separate characters. And while Leia is a general and with this like rich backstory, this like you know horrible son and a complicated marriage, and I I feel like her stepping into I'm not saying that her part was better than Mark's at all, but I do feel like she was able to step back into the Leia persona a lot easier than Mark was in, into the Luke persona just because, you know, Luke's character had a lot of changes that had happened in the past like 30 mm-hmm. years. And yeah. I don't think Leia really had those changes. Yeah. So it, it's just really tough. It's, it's hard and it's hard to watch. And I'm so happy that we have this documentary to kind of like expand upon that because mm-hmm. it's, it's important for us to kind of examine that as like a, a core struggle in making this film, especially for Ryan. Mm-hmm. I think um, this, I mean, all of the behind the scenes on this just made me really appreciate Ryan Johnson as a creator. And I loved him during the whole confrontation with Mark um, talking, you know, he was like, after I had this conversation with Mark, I really had to be honest with myself and question if I was doing the right thing with the character Luke. I mean, then you put yourself in Ryan Johnson's shoes of like, oh my God, my hero, Mark Hamill, has told me that he hates what I'm doing with his character. <laughs> like fundamentally hates it. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> that? Like coming, like you're the director, you're supposed to have all the answers and then your actor is like, no, absolutely not. And it's like to, to have that kind of um, – like confidence in yourself to be like, I hear what you're saying, but we we're gonna keep going in this direction. It's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> like that's that's insane too. Um, I really loved what Carrie had to say about Ryan. She said, you know, Ryan doesn't have um, oh, let me see where's the quote. It says Ryan doesn't have a dominating affect, but he does have a dominating vision. I mean, I feel like that's just the thesis statement for Ryan Johnson, you know, like dominating affect, 
doesn't doesn't have a dominating affect, but does have a dominating vision. And I mean, of course, it comes from Carrie. You know, it always would come from Carrie. Mm-hmm. Like she would understand that, like to com- a complete level. And I just feel like Ryan had such a clear understanding of where things and where the story would go. And I just have now such a huge respect for him to like steer the ship and kind of take it to where it needed to go and to take these risks and everything. It's you you really when you watch this you have complete respect for him as a you know i mean you said it as a creator as a director as a writer it's, it's he really took those risks that people had wanted for so long mm-hmm. for star well, wars people, you know what people said they wanted <laughs> and uh, then yeah, they got yeah. it and they're like mm, wait a second never mind <laughs> We we wanted those risks, they were taken, and we liked it. Exactly. So yeah. I don't I don't know if like those people are the minority or were the majority, but I think that those those risks were really well taken. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that I'm happy with the last Jedi. I'll say that. <laughs> um, what I you know it's it's interesting because Ryan from the very beginning I feel like of ever talking publicly about the last Jedi always said in part of his process he was like the first thing I did is I wrote down all the names of the characters and I wrote down what the hardest thing would be for them in this movie because mm-hmm. it's the darker middle chapter so you need to throw at them some really big challenges and it's like. For Ray, the biggest cha- like, I I loved how he talked about Ray's parentage throughout this documentary and in the commentary of like, you know, it would be the easiest thing in the world for her to be a Kenobi or a Skywalker and or a Solo. Like all she wants is belonging, but the fact of the matter is she doesn't have that, and so now she has to figure out who she is. And then you know, in regards to the Luke conversation, it's like the hardest thing for Luke Skywalker is to not be the hero we want him all to be. Um, because life mm-hmm. has happened to him and life is not always fair and it's not always kind um, and you make mistakes throughout it. So I think, yeah, I just I, – I think I really came away with like, wow, Ryan Johnson is like a really brave guy. <laughs> and I feel like when, <laughs> when you watch Ryan Johnson, he doesn't – I don't know. It's like brave isn't an adjective I would immediately give to him or like strong because he's just like you just want to give him a hug. You know, um, and like they talked about it in the documentary, like I think it was um, the creatures department. They're like, you know how Ryan feels about something based on his immediate reaction. It's either like a high pitched giggle <laughs> or, you know, a low. Mm, mm-hmm. And it's just like when you think of Ryan Johnson, you think of that giggle. Um, you don't necessarily think about him. At least I didn't before this, like really making those hard decisions and you know steering the ship like you said um in a way that maybe not everyone wanted to go but he was like this is this is the right direction even if no one else can see it right now yeah i think about the whole like giggle thing versus a mm. harumph i guess <laughs> um, <laughs> i i think about all the the documentaries where you see George with his like big red stamp when he liked when he liked a piece of concept art he would go up and just stamp it like the thing is is that that's like George not wanting to really say anything right and this is like totally him yeah <laughs> and like not being super vocal about what he likes and will tell them what he dislikes um but Ryan instead on the opposite of that is just like giggling <laughs> just like completely sums it up you know (laughs) which like just for a second can we talk about the moment when ryan finds out that he's going to like george lucas called (laughs) yes yes okay 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 (laughs) (laughs) 
And you – What do you think they I talked about? I have no idea. That was my question. What did they talk about? I wonder if Ryan was like, hey, George, oh, my God, like, let me tell you what's happening. Like, was he was he allowed to tell George Lucas about what he had planned for Star Wars? I don't know. This, like, really plays into my conspiracy theory about how, like, George is very, like, on hand. This is my conspiracy theory, guys. This isn't fact. This is just my thoughts. I feel like George knows what's up. He has a relationship with, I mean, he has a friendship with Kathleen Kennedy. I feel like he's, like, understands, like, where the story is going obviously a lot more than we do and um, Mm -hmm. has these like I don't think that George probably has never stopped thinking about Star Wars and it was very clear Mm -hmm. when he was in the Clone Wars era that he was like continually coming up with these ideas and everything I feel like that has never Mm -hmm. stopped and I I think that like if anything Ryan on that phone like if George had read the script George calls him up and talks about like, hey, like, I really like what you're doing in the force or like, that's really cool. And like, I had always or or the opposite. I had always thought about these things this way. And maybe you should incorporate this because of blah, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I do think that he has tabs on the direction that Star Wars is going in. And I, I know that goes against like everything that we've seen, but I I, I kind of believe this in my bones. <laughs> <laughs> I I know the conspiracy theory we've always held is that George is not a JJ fan. Yes. But <laughs> is a Ryan fan. And like JJ just wants George to love him, but it, they're not quite there yet. But I think that I think like I think if George was having a Star Wars dinner, he would invite Ryan, but maybe not JJ. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> Which I mean, this is all just like our own head canon because I think I think George would really appreciate how crazy Ryan made The Last Jedi. I think he would be all about that because I mean that's what George did with the prequels. He was like throw it all away from the original trilogy. Like, we're starting over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Ryan really incorporated that mindset into The Last Jedi where J.J. didn't. And, of course, J.J. had a lot of other things going on in The Force Awakens that he had to do. So that's not that's not a dig at J.J. or The Force Awakens. Um, but, yeah, I just – I always think about that. And I remember um, – what is it? It's like J.J.'s speech to John Williams at John Williams' um, – Lifetime Achievement Award, and he like talks about John Williams, but he also like has like a shout out moment to George Lucas too, where he's like, "Oh my God, George, I just like love you so much!" Like <laughs> on the podium <laughs> to like John Williams, <laughs> but it's like, "Hey, George, love you, mad bro." <laughs> and you're like, "Do they get along? Do they chat? Like, what's up with that?" I honestly don't I, think they do. <laughs> I know, but I feel like George was like, "Hey, Ryan, if you ever need." Like some advice or anything like here's my cell number i don't think jj has george's cell number <laughs> i don't know like okay now now we're really getting into this theory because like <laughs> jj was essentially like a spielberg like he trained under steven spielberg right so it's it's interesting to me if you like consider that and then you consider like yeah the steven and george friendship like does george mm-hmm. just really think about like jj as like the student and in, in instead like has always had him like in that's like the box he sits in and even like we've seen those that footage of JJ at the Clone Wars movie premiere and everything I feel like yeah JJ has always really liked Star Wars has been like very you know 
interested in the like Lucasfilm world and everything. And I just wonder if it's like a little too fanboy for <laughs> for George. For George. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know, man. I just I feel like for for George, his like Disney era MVPs are Dave and Ryan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> and maybe yeah, maybe, and maybe Gareth. <laughs> maybe Gareth. I like I think, that little hand I, cannon. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gareth is probably like the aww like, <laughs> exactly you know? I mean that's how Gareth we all just, feel about Gareth right y- yeah yeah Gareth had some troubles but like he's there he's happy he's a good guy <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh anyway <laughs> so clearly like from that little scene they were completely like taped and rigged the entire time which is kind of crazy you show up at the at work and then they kind of they mic you up and i work in entertainment some of the time and you know it's not an easy thing to just like put on a mic <laughs> and <laughs> i i just i think about that because that means that there's so much footage so much footage and so much and it's they mentioned at south by southwest that like potentially they were looking into you know compiling all that stuff that was left on the cutting room floor because you know there's you know there's more um, there's so much there has to, there's so much yeah into a like behind the scenes featurette on the disney streaming service how would you feel about that i like it i mean i'm all for it i'll probably have the disney streaming service yeah it's caitlin just, like don't even we're not even having I an know. argument we're buying the disney streaming service i know i know it's just like <laughs> I just hate how sometimes these things get put behind a paywall Uh and as someone who loves it so much, it's that part of it is frustrating, but I'm going to buy it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, (laughs) I I think I'd prefer that obviously to it being left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. I think you're right. Or even if it was um, then offered on like a new edition of the DVD. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't like like the how the JJ commentary is only on you know what is it the Blu-ray of the Force Awakens yeah yeah I didn't like that oh, it's I was not really- not not the Blu-ray it's the three D re-release like that came out months after the, yeah, the original not, it's so annoying. not into that at all yeah uh, so I do think I prefer it being on a streaming service where there's like a bunch of other content too. Um, obviously, like Netflix, um, rather than being like, oh my God, here's the same movie with all the other same featurettes plus this like one extra one. (laughs) That's annoying and I hate you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's another thing that I just thought of now that this documentary like presented me with? A couple things. Two things. One that they helicoptered the sea cow onto my God, into Ireland. There, okay, if I have one critique of this documentary, it's like we spent way too much time with the sea cow. Like it's clear that Ryan really loves the sea cow, but do the rest of us love the sea cow? No, no. <laughs> I just think it's crazy that they th- that just really shows how big budgeted these movies are. That they were like, mm-hmm. we need the element of alien on Skellig Michael so much. Like, we need to have this contrast between the other and the human, it, everything, that we need mm-hmm. to, instead of animating this or, like, filming it somewhere else, we need to helicopter this in. <laughs> and it was... <laughs> I just, like, I, I can't get over it. It might be the funniest piece of Star Wars content that I've gotten in, like, a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's, what's funny about that, too, is that... Ryan was the one who was finally like, no, we got a helicopter that that cow in. (laughs) Everyone else was like, 
listen, it's going to be really expensive to make. How are we going to get it there? Let's just animate it. And finally, Ryan was like, no, I got to take it there. (laughs) See, (laughs) you're like, this goes back to the whole dominating vision thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, not to get because we're joking here, but like to get serious, like it was clear that Ryan really wanted to show you know, Luke's daily life on this, you know, on this island was like somewhat grotesque and different. And he had a vision about how that looked and (laughs) his vision was the sea cow. And it's it's so admirable to me that he was like, we're charging forward with the sea cow. (laughs) cow. On this like UNESCO World Heritage (laughs) Site, we're going to fly in a sea cow. (laughs) It's great. Actually, I think that was in Ireland. I don't think that was yeah. on Skeleton yeah. But uh, still, you're like, put it on the side of the cliff. You're like, geez, that's a lot. I mean, and the, the the scale, I mean, just talking about the scale of this film is like so much bigger than I think even I really understood. Even with like the Octo Jedi Temple tree, mm-hmm. the, the set they rebuilt was ginormous. Yeah. <laughs> it was huge. Um, it's crazy how they did that. And I, I loved um, Ryan signing the form for the budget for the film. Mm-hmm. And he did that Ryan giggle where he was like, <laughs> it's like, how much money? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate it, too. I think there was that they were talking about the budget. And I, I think it was the conversation that Ryan wasn't even in. It was like Ram was in charge of that conversation. And uh, the guy was like, you know, it's it's a box. It's a big box. But the budget is still a box. Like, there is a limit. (laughs) So, Caitlin, who's the Ryan and who's the Rom? (laughs) In our relationship? Yep. (laughs) Uh, Oh, gosh. I feel like you're probably the Rom and I'm probably the Ryan. Like, you're the producer. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you, I mean, you handle all of that stuff and I'll just be here to giggle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the truth except i want to be the like the creative genius of ryan so maybe it's not yeah. like one comparison but i think that's that's a pretty good estimate <laughs> maybe we have like we we have like pieces of both but you're like overall more ram and i'm overall more ryan <laughs> fair fair but we but we're both ram and ryan <laughs> Back to the scale, the scale thing, it, it like blows my mind about how big those sets were and how many sets they produced. And mm-hmm. like seeing that kind of stuff and seeing all the work that goes into these like real sets, practical effects. <laughs> wow, I'm so funny. <laughs> okay. Where um, have we heard that before? <laughs> like, but really, it is insane. Like, even in the deleted mm-hmm. scenes, there's this one scene where they did the, I think, um, uh, Ryan called it like the version of uh, the uh, you know Jack Lemons apartment in uh, an apartment his office in the movie The Apartment on um, yes. the on the Star Destroyer and it's like this huge mm-hmm. set with all these desks and they they ultimately cut it and it's like it's crazy to think about like that's a real set that was that was that many desks that was that it was huge <laughs> and they cut it and even all the stuff that they cut from um canto bite and everything mm-hmm. that huge set on the biggest sound stage i think i don't know in the world or if it was just in england it was the 007 stage and it is huge i can't even get over it and mm-hmm. 
I, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be there and kind of witness, you know, those huge sets come to life and like, honestly, you know, stand on a Star Wars set. Because when you, when you construct those, you know, intense different kinds of sets, it's, it really becomes like world building. And obviously like that's the point of a set, but it's, mm-hmm. it's insane how many they had. Oh my God. Well, what I appreciated, and it was just a line in this documentary, but I really appreciated it, is Ryan said something to the effect of like, when we could build it, I wanted to because we have a lot of CGI in the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging that. Because it's like, doesn't Force Awakens have like the most CGI of like any <laughs> film of 2015 or oh, something like that? Yeah, no, it has the most CGI in all Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah. And everyone's like, oh, my God, practical effects. I mean, it had those too. It had a lot of practical effects. Okay, okay, guys, it did. But if I had to see a clip of that, like, bird, that, like, crow pecking at, like, the metal (laughs) that they always show when they're, like, practical effects, and then they cut to that bird, and you're like, I get it. that's, not a good practical effect either. It's not. I'm like, that looks like you took it out of 1977. (laughs) I don't need that in my practical effects. Um and two, like the whole conversation about the Vulptex where they were like, we tried to build it. It didn't work. So we're doing it by CGI now. Mm-hmm. And you're even, like, okay, great. Yeah. Even seeing the dog run around, I was like, this looks stupid. I'm so glad that they uh, did the CGI version. <laughs> they needed mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And that, that was when you heard Ryan's, hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like mm. watching that like little whippet <laughs> run around. I was like, oh my God. Well, what's funny is he has the Voltex, the dog has the Voltex tail, but then he has his tail too. Yeah. <laughs> so he has like two tails running around. <laughs> no Which giggle from Ryan. <laughs> no giggle from Ryan. Okay, but what was a giggle from Ryan is on his birthday celebration when he gets in the bouncy house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he like, I don't. I feel like no one's talking about this, but he's Ryan tum- in a bouncy house. Well, he tumbles out like head first. <laughs> like find the gif, and he's like he's rolling out like he's gonna break his neck. He obviously didn't, but like it was hilarious. It's just everything Ryan does is hilarious. <laughs> I want to be best friends with him. Respond no. to my tweets, Ryan. <laughs> I have gotten a Ryan Johnson like on a tweet before, so oh, yeah. I forgot we're basically <laughs> we're basically one step closer to becoming best friends. And, so and hey, we so close, so close. <laughs> we have the Ryan Johnson trilogy coming up, so like maybe we can just both become actresses and audition for that. Yeah, or maybe you know when we're waiting overnight again in a line, if we ever do that again, he will come mm. back and sign badges again. <laughs> Oh God, <laughs> that was such such an adventure. <laughs> One I don't know if I need to repeat, but <laughs> we're probably gonna do it. <laughs> I know. I just I mean okay. All right, that that's another episode for another anyway. For another time. Yeah. So, what was our biggest takeaway really from this documentary as we kind of round out this kind of silly discussion? <laughs> In honor of Ryan, silly discussion. <laughs> uh, I, I keep wondering, I've seen this kind of floating around the internet, but what kind of behind the scenes we're going to be getting for Solo? Uh, because it's clear, like I said, at the top of the show that this, a lot of these were, I feel like, advocated really heavily for by Ryan. Mm-hmm. And so, because clearly we wouldn't have this same kind of behind the scenes feature. It's on The Force Awakens with JJ. 
And so what is Solo going to look at given its production history? Like, what are what are we even going to get? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we're not going to get the honest documentary that we need. <laughs> and yeah. I do, I respect in terms of like the solo marketing and everything. I think Ron Howard's been pretty explicit about, you know, yeah, I came in late, everything like that. And, you know, kind of acknowledging the drama in a far better way than I thought, you know, the marketing PR was going to handle it. Um, we'll see. Obviously, that hasn't really ramped up yet completely. Yeah. Like what's going to happen when the when the press tour starts? Exactly. And I, I they will be asked about it. So I, I do... I, th- I hope that we get some sort of like behind the scenes, this, you know, similar to this, but I, I'm not, I'm not banking on it. I'm holding I feel like my breath. <laughs> I don't even know if we'll be getting like deleted scenes, honestly, because <laughs> I feel like half of it, more than half was deleted, re- re- reshot. So, like, what's going to happen? Yeah. Hashtag I release that- the Phil Lord. And <laughs> oh, can't no. wait for that hashtag. Steve I remember when Miller. the news broke the yeah, those people. I remember when the news broke and we were like, you know, this film better be good or else everyone's going to be like, should have kept Phil and Lord, even though they have no idea what that movie looked like. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope it – anyway, this isn't a solo discussion, but I think it is – it's interesting going to be comparing, especially once we get episode nine, again, comparing how J.J. – what JJ chooses to include, if he's even a part of that process, like it seems like Ryan was a, pro- a part of mm-hmm. this process. Um, but I know for me, one of the big takeaways, aside from like everything we've already talked about, was I feel like I understood Ryan a lot more and his point of view, um, particularly like in regards to the humor in The Last Jedi, which, as you guys know, isn't always my favorite, doesn't always really work for me. But someone start was talking about Ryan's perspective and how he liked things that were being created for the last year. And it was like, he really likes the intersection of like the grotesque and the beauty and for things having this like really naivete and innocence about it. Um, And he really wanted to inject that into the last Jedi. And I don't always agree with how he did it, but I, I don't know. I feel like I was like, Oh, okay. I think I understand why, like why that whole scene with Hux at the beginning works the way it works. Um, mm-hmm. Even if I don't enjoy it, I feel like I understand what Ryan was going for now. Yeah, I, I walked away with a greater respect for Ryan, which I didn't even think was possible. And also the Star Wars movie making machine as a whole. I I honestly, it was a lot more casual than I kind of, that you than you expect like this billion dollar franchise to be. Um, you know, even seeing like Kathy Kennedy, like, you know, walking in and she's, she's, I don't know, it was just really funny and like warm and, and real. And I, I got that mm-hmm. from this documentary in a way that I didn't expect. Like, I didn't really expect to see Kathy in this, in this documentary at all. But, and it's, yeah. it's weird to even be talking about like this one shot of her, like coming into this, you know, a meeting room and that that's basically yeah. it. But she was like flustered by the camera. And I feel like it was, it was just a, a, a genuine human moment that, those kind of little mm-hmm. snapshots mean so much to us fans when all we get are news headlines and um, everything. We don't really know these people and it's clear. And so when we see these, the way that this film is put together behind the scenes, it really, it, it matters and it means a lot to mm-hmm. us. Completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. So you know what this means though, is that if Ryan's this gung-ho about behind the scenes and like DVD bonus content, 
hopefully we'll be getting a ton on his trilogy. Yeah, I think so. I really think so. Really looking forward to that. Um, Yeah. But is there anything else, any parting words for the director and the Jedi documentary? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, let's move on to part two, all about deleted scenes. Okay, welcome to part two, which we're going to be talking all about the deleted scenes and some of the other featurettes in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, If you guys have been around for some time, you know that deleted scenes are Charlotte's favorite behind-the-scenes featurettes, but they're actually my least favorite. So I'm going to let you start off this discussion about the deleted scenes on The Last Jedi. What was your favorite? Um, So it's weird because... Now we've read the novelization, we've discussed the novelization, and um, I feel like now when we're going into these deleted scenes, I wasn't too surprised by any of them, like Mm -hmm. the caretaker scene or anything. I was really excited to finally see that. Um, And I think that everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people will say that the caretaker scene was their favorite. And I just, I feel like it's because it's really fully realized and it is like such a huge chunk um, Mm -hmm. that was kind of, you know, broken off from the film and I respect if that's your favorite, but it, I don't think it's my favorite and I th- I'm glad that it was removed. I think my favorite, and this is going to surprise no one. <laughs> my favorite is that one short shot of Kylo looking out over space and waiting for Ray to arrive. And I feel like even just that like short shot of contemplation was you know, so fantastic to get. And I really wish it was in the film. And not mm-hmm. only that, but the the visual language that's going on in that scene is the light is literally streaming into the this like corridor and he's looking out into the darkness. And it's and it's weird because we know at we know that Ray is going to him. So you wonder what's mm-hmm. happening in the forest in that point and everything. So it, it it brought a lot of like thoughts on me about Kylo and Ray and just Kylo Ren in his contemplative state, which mm-hmm. I feel like we we saw a lot in the film, so maybe it wasn't necessary to keep it in. But I was excited to see that, and of course, it was like the only bit of Kylo content that we got that was cut out. But um, yeah. another one that I really liked was I loved Rose biting hucks. <laughs> yeah, I really did. So, <laughs> it was so funny, great. so funny, and like I feel like that. There was a lot of stuff that was cut during that time period because it was clear that our focus needed to be on the throne room and what was happening there. Um, and that was just kind of like a little bit of a tonal shift. Um, and I, I get it. I get why all of these were cut. But mm-hmm. I, I think that it's so funny that she bit hugs. <laughs> it's so great. I love her. I love her <laughs> so much. <laughs> I love her too. I think that was really funny. I, The one that I really liked um, – was Luke and Leia mourning together. Uh, Really just Luke, because that was the part that was cut. Uh, I also really liked the scene of Kylo waiting for Rey. I think it answers that question of, like, does Kylo know she's coming? Does she not? Like, what's the deal? But I kind of like how, at least with the film, you can kind of, you can question that. I think that's a fun kind of discussion to have, even though the novelization says that he does. Um, that he like felt it when the Millennium Falcon came out of hyperspace. So at least he knew right before she got there. Um, but it also, I mean, that scene parallels so nicely to Vader and Revenge of the Sith. 
mm-hmm. um, him looking out as well. So it's kind of – you get that nice kind of visual imagery. But I really loved the Finn and BB-8 scene from the very beginning, uh, mainly because I just – I love John's delivery of that line with BB-8's recording of him and Finn at the end of The Force Awakens. And he's like, it was kind of weird that you recorded that. But thank you. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like it's so it's so funny. I, I've rewatched that scene a couple of times actually just because I love how he says that line. Uh, but I think what you said too, I mean, I understand why all of these these scenes were cut. And and like with the Luke, um, Luke's third lesson, I think that's a really interesting like whole sequence that they cut. And you're right, it does feel so weird because it is so fully realized and um finished for the film okay. so like clearly they kept it in for a really long time but i'm really glad they cut it because i think i think ryan said this at one point either in the commentary the deleted scene commentary or some other point about the scene that it just like it just kind of made you dislike luke even more and you didn't really need that anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. um but i liked their conversations i liked how Luke was like, a Jedi would just let them suffer because, you know, are you going to be here the next time they come back? No, Mm -hmm. you're not. Um, But I didn't like the party aspect of it. I was like, that would have been another moment of that humor that I'm just not into really. Uh, And then at the very end when Luke is there really quickly somehow, like I don't know how he got down there so fast. (laughs) But (laughs) that big pull thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> when Ray, um, when he's like, you don't understand like what's going on here. And Ray's like, what I do understand is that all of our friends are dying out there and you're not doing anything about it. And I just, I love that look on Luke's face. It's like a slap in the face to him. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, she might be right. You know, mm-hmm. um, this isn't like, she's not here about the Jedi. Like she is, but she's also not. So I don't know. Yeah. I liked that part of it. Um, but I think I think it was the right choice to take it out. Yeah, I agree. I <laughs> I do love when Ray like is running so fast and like lightsabers down the gate, and then they they the care. I just I love the caretakers. I think they're so funny. And when Ray waves the lightsaber a little bit, ugh, I love that. I need a gif of that. Someone send me that gif. <laughs> but <laughs> that, is, that is an appropriate gift for a lot of different situations on the yeah. internet. So. <laughs> Thank you, and, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yeah, but I, I completely agree with you. I feel like I like the conversation. I just feel like tonally it's weird. I think that mm-hmm. it, it really does make me hate Luke. It makes me think he's so snarky and just let this girl run off without saying anything. And like, mm-hmm. ugh, Skywalkers and their lack of communication. It's that annoying kind of lesson that you feel like a parent would give you. you know? <laughs> like, totally. Rather we- than the whole – it's just it completely contrasts the other lessons that you know Luke was teaching her and everything, and I just ugh, I didn't mm-hmm. I just don't really like it, and I'm so glad it's gone. I, I'm yeah. glad that we have it, and I'm I'm happy to see it, and I think the little again I think the little caretaker dance is really cute, and the bagpipes are hilarious. Um. <laughs> <laughs> also, when it's like you said it was a raid and plunder, he's like, oh, yeah. kind of. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> The Last Jedi is the most sexual Star Wars movie ever. <laughs> Just confirming that. And the caretakers get it on the action. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think you're right, though. It's like the tonal – there's like too much contrast in these couple of scenes. You know, it like goes from real serious, like super lighthearted to Luke laughing at Ray to then really serious again. 
in yeah, a matter of weird. like three minutes. It's it's a lot. So I think it, I think it was the right the right call to uh to cut it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think is hilarious about these deleted scenes is that the father chasing was even longer <laughs> than it is in the movie. <laughs> it's literally like an entire Rebels episode. It's so long. <laughs> so it's so long. It's so long. You're like. You kept like you kept filming like Ryan just could not stop with the body <laughs> Oh my god, it's so long! It's, it's so, so long. long. It's I, just I, funny I, because it's like, oh, we're still, oh, we're not even up on the pasture yet. Oh, we're still in the city. Yeah. We're not on oh, the beach. Yet. Oh, we're we're not not even climbing beach up, yet. are we? Okay, we're, we're doing this. It's, it's like it continues and continues. There's a couple of like things that I love about that though. I, mm. I there like. I love the Fabier chase sequence in the movie. I think it's so fun and I love the music and everything. Um, but I, I love wow. Uh, this one part, and it's really small where Finn and Rose like clasp their kind of their legs together a little bit. And they're like, oh, make yourself smaller <laughs> when they're going through these tunnels. And yeah, I think, I think that like the, oh, I, they were such a big deal about how they were filming in Dubrovnik Mm-hmm. Um, when when they were and what we got out of Dubrovnik wasn't that many sequences like but in this you really see like them in the streets and everything and I, I understand now why they felt like they needed to you know go there and kind of film within that city mm-hmm. um, and I think it, it kind of would have been nice to have uh, probably for the people of Dubrovnik and like to visit it might have been cool to have like a little bit more of those pickup shots than than what we have um, but oh, man, it's so long. Oh my god, <laughs> so long. I I remember the first time I watched the deleted scenes, I watched them without the commentary. But the second time I watched them with the commentary, and I was like, oh my god, this is like I don't want to sit through this again. <laughs> it's so long. <laughs> what I love about the father you're chasing though is I love looking at the background, um, especially when they're in the casino, like the bakery mm-hmm. that they're in. They have all these like cakes and snacks. I'm like, oh my god, Star Wars food. I just think it's so cool, um, and yeah. I love like I like the like the lantern and the like the seaside. Uh, resortness of Canto Bight. I think it's really cool. I think it's a setting we haven't really seen a ton in Star Wars. So I really love that aspect of it. But yeah, oh my gosh, it was so long. Um, <laughs> but I re- what I liked about the commentary part of it anyway is I like how Ryan talked about it. And he talked about it from like a film student perspective where he was like, yeah, you know, this is what we did. But, you know, what you can do is you can go and uh, watch what we have in the film and then come back and compare it to this and kind of decide for yourself why we cut the parts we did. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I Again, it like goes back to like Ryan being a real like lover of film and like how mm-hmm. films are created and giving people the opportunity to like observe and come to these conclusions themselves rather than him just talking through everything. Wow, he's so great. He's, he's, <laughs> he's so, so generous. Great. He's so great. Ryan, Ryan, come to our Star Wars dinner, please. It's <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> be great. Uh, what's interesting is that there are no Kylo and Ray deleted scenes together or separately, really, except for the big uh, Luke's lesson. That's really the big one that Ray got deleted. Right. It's it just proves to me how important and how the heart of this movie is those two characters Mm -hmm. and how even if they're I feel like so so much went into those scenes I feel like 
Ryan would never have cut them because I, I, I assure you that that was the center of his script. And he was certain that like every single scene that they did was going to be like the tightest it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And, and also I feel like they went through such ends to actually film both of those scenes too. Um, All those scenes by flying, you know, Adam in for Daisy scenes and Daisy for Adam, everything like that. And I feel like, and I mean, that's to say like, obviously they cut so much of Canto Bite, which so much work went into, but I really do feel like this just proves to me further how the heart of this movie are those two characters and those two interactions. Mm -hmm. Two halves of the protagonist. Yep. Yep. Yes. I am a little sad that we don't have any deleted Kylo and Ray scenes, just like as a Kylo and Ray fan. Yeah, wanting more but, of them, yeah. Yeah, but I guess there's always nine. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's move on to talking just really briefly about the other features. Um, I wanted to kind of touch on the Snoke feature, which I thought was a really interesting inclusion into obviously like they're going to talk about Andy Serkis because he is really talented and I feel like there's no question of that but the fact that Ryan left in this like unmo-capped performance of him I think was such a bold move and a really cool addition to kind of like this this breath of um behind the scenes features Mm -hmm. and it just really (laughs) captured to me how creepy Snoke is and how creepy he was playing him. Ugh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, too, this goes back to our discussion about, like, practical versus, like, CGI. You know, Force Awakens was never going to have a featurette like this. (laughs) Um, No. Whereas, like, Last Jedi is like, let's show you how we digitally created this whole Character. character. Yeah. And, like, really go in depth to it. But then there's also this really practical side to it as well with Andy's um, live performance, which mm-hmm. I think I think is really cool. But yeah, it was really creepy. Um, the Snoke hand, the fake hand that like comes up to caress Ray's Ooh. face. <laughs> you're like, Ugh. so disgusting. You just you know what that's gonna feel like on your skin, and you're gonna need like a really good cleanser that night. Gross. So, <laughs> so gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I really liked was the Force feature about the balance of the Force. Um, I think it was it was really interesting. And again, what you were saying too, it kind of solidifies that like the three people who are kind of at the center of this film are Luke, Kylo, and Ray, and all of their relationship to the Force, mm-hmm. um, and how it's working through each of them in different ways. Um, but it's like oh, in a way, it's all trying to come to the same conclusion. Right. And that was the documentary that you were talking about before about how Ryan kind of talked a little bit more about how for Ray, it was the hardest thing for her to find out that she was not related. No to, Yeah, exactly. And his quote, he says, you're wondering who you are. OK, well, you're going to have to find out who you are for yourself um, and stand on your own two feet. I feel like that really that's the whole theme of Ray's journey in this entire movie, mm-hmm. obviously. And to me, this documentary kind of spelled out how important all these three character journeys were in a way that, in case you missed it, here <laughs> here you go. This is what it is. And <laughs> I love what Ryan also said about Kylo. He says, um, love him or hate him, you really, in this movie, get to see what makes him tick. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I feel like that was really Ryan's, like, entire theses for understanding 
Kylo in this movie is to understand like all his buttons and who he was and kind of let the audience kind of come to those conclusions themselves as well about who Kylo is as a character and like what are his triggers and what are his, you know, what is his heart like even at all? Um, I I feel mm-hmm. like I I have clearly come away from the force uh, the the last Jedi with like a clear understanding of who Kylo is a per- as a person and um, it's it's always refreshing to me to hear Ryan talk about how much thought and you know love he put it he put into that character you know mm-hmm. I mean he said I think he said at one point throughout one of these featurettes about how for him Kylo was the character he was most interested in. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes through in the movie. And I know a lot of people are probably – that's probably not what they want to hear because they want Ray to be the central main character. And I don't know. I, I definitely understand that. Um, and I think there is a worry about her not having a central position in Episode Nine. I think she will. But I understand why people are worried about that given the events that happened in The Last Jedi and given that she wasn't – like in the last part of The Last Jedi, she wasn't really a big part of that final crate battle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I completely understand that. Um, for us, though, as Kylo Ren fans, you're like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love them being two halves of this protagonist. I think for me, it makes sense because they are such this yin and yang in every conceivable way. Like in I feel like in every way, they are opposites of one another. And I think that's really cool. And I hope that JJ continues to build on that in episode nine. Definitely. Um, what's interesting kind of on this Kylo note too is one of the few like interviews we get with Adam Driver and across the board on these behind the scenes featurettes um, was in this behind or balance of the force feature where he says, uh, I don't think Kylo ever comes to terms with the light and dark within him. It's still like an internal struggle, which I think is really indicative of where Kylo is um, throughout The Last Jedi and even at the end of Last Jedi, despite kind of now being supreme leader. Um, he still has this internal conflict. The conflict has not been resolved in him. I think it was for a second in the last Jedi throne room scene, but then it all kind of fell to pieces around them both, around Kylo and Ray both. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're going to see, hopefully we'll see that resolved in some capacity in episode nine for him. But I think at the end of the day, I don't think that conflict, like Adam said, I don't think that conflict will ever be completely resolved. Yep. Um, and I think that's okay. Like that's an okay conclusion to come to because we are not all light and we are not all dark. And to say that you can completely get rid of that part of yourself, that baser part of yourself, it's like putting too much pressure and setting yourself up for failure in a way that maybe, you know, in some aspects, that's what happened to Luke Skywalker too, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I was going to say the same thing because I was in my head, I was like, well, has Rey even really come to terms with the light and the dark within herself? I feel like she still has so much to learn. That's why she grabbed those books, Mm -hmm. why she, you know, kind of went straight to the dark when she needed to. I feel like at the end of the film, yes, she has some resolve. She understands where she is and where she needs to be. And she's back with her found family. It's very clear to me. But at the same time, I do feel like she has... Uh, clearly this force within her that she's still trying to understand and her grabbing those books like to me 
you never really rid yourself of light and dark. And it kind of goes back to this conversation that we literally reference all the time, Caitlin, about the, the Anakin Skywalker conversation that we had like a year mm-hmm. ago about how like <laughs> it's a barometer. <laughs> it's a barometer of like the, the dark side. And it's like, can you somehow kind of resist the dark side and bring it down to like a 10% rather than the 90%, right? <laughs> right. I, I know it sounds 90%. ridiculous, but like but you're, it, yeah, it's a constant of- struggle. It's, it's, yeah. and that's life. And I feel like it's so interesting to me that Adam would say that he said, you know, that I don't think he ever comes to terms with the light and the dark in himself. And it's like, one, it's an acknowledgement of the light within Ben Solo, but also it is this, like, he shouldn't, I don't think he should come to terms with the light and the dark. I feel like that it's it's not necessarily a trade off for one or the other. Um, yeah, well, it's like he should. It's a little come dangerous to terms. conversation. Yeah, <laughs> it's like he should come to terms with the fact that both exist within him, and it doesn't have to be one or the other, like you said. And two, what we always talk about here is that it's about personal choice. Every day, you have to choose the light side. You have to choose to be the better person, to take the high road, to reach out to help someone instead of turning the other way. You know what I mean? You have to choose every day to be selfless instead of selfish. It's not mm-hmm. just, you know, tomorrow you wake up and like, I'm going to be a selfless person. And then you never have to think about it again. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an everyday struggle. And I think that's what Kylo will be going through in episode nine. Um, I think we'll see those themes explored a lot in like extra content we get after the sequel trilogy is complete. And totally. um and to talk about in regards to Ray a little bit as well, I think too it's this this um, opposite that they both represent. Like Kylo has all of this like Jedi education behind him that says like you are either light or dark. You know, I feel like that's probably what he was told, and it was like squash the dark, repress the dark, don't pay attention to it. All the while, it's like bubbling up inside him, and he doesn't know what to do with it, and is afraid of it until finally you know, Snoke takes his chance and ends up manipulating all of the Skywalkers um, Mm -hmm. and destroying everything that they built and destroying their family too. But for Rey, she doesn't have any of this education. It's like she comes into it with such this innocence um, that she's not even afraid of the dark because she doesn't know that she should be afraid of that part of her. Um, And so she's able, it's like she's able to go between the light and dark side I don't know, kind of easier. I don't yeah. know if that really makes sense. Um, no, it, to- it, it totally does. It totally does. And that's yeah. why Ray's our hero also. Yeah, exactly. Because um, we we understand that there's no true need to be afraid of this part of you as long mm-hmm. as you choose to be selfless, to choose to have compassion and choose to care. Yeah. If you don't acknowledge that it's there, you can't reject it. Exactly. So – Anyway, that was quite the tangent. It was. <laughs> <laughs> do you think we should move on to talking about the co- commentary? Yeah, I think we should. Let's do it. Listen, Big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Welcome to part three, which is all about Ryan Johnson's commentary on The Last Jedi. And so like we usually do for most sections on our show, we're really just going to pull out the parts that we think are most interesting and kind of discuss them a little more. So we've got some quotes from Ryan here that we'll read out and then we'll just kind of discuss them a little bit and then move on to the next quote. So hope that's cool <laughs> with you guys. Um, now, first, the first- off, before you start, before you start, I just want to say that the commentary is really funny and interesting. And um, 
I think that Ryan has a lot that we're not going to cover to say about like the different Easter eggs and the different mm-hmm. mo- movies that he was in- inspired by when making this and like kind of threw in inspirations that I was really surprised about like some Monty Python references and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So if you're on the fence about whether or not to watch the commentary instead of just watching the movie, I recommend it. I, I learned a lot. Okay. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. Um, <laughs> So we're just going to dive right in. And the first little bit we're going to talk about is a little bit of what Ryan was talking about while the hut scene was playing between Kylo and Ray. And so this is Ryan Johnson. He says, the transition of Kylo from someone who killed Han Solo and is kind of coming into it. I had to assume, even though I found the character very intriguing, you have to come in. That's why Ray is so angry with him and just saying, screw you, for basically the first few Force connections. Because my assumption is that's how we're going to feel about him coming into this as the audience and how to transition him slowly from there to here, the hand touch scene, you know, um, in a way that was plausible through Ray's eyes. The notion that Ray sees this opportunity in him and maybe sees something more than that in him to earn this connection, I guess. That was something we spent a lot of time, Adam and Daisy and I, kind of talking through how we were going to get there. So this kind of the big takeaway I think we both took from this quote was earning this connection. Like, what does that really mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's so cool that he would say, you know, we had to, because the whole idea of Last Jedi and these two characters is that, you know, Ryan has said this so many times about how he just really wanted to get them to talk. And that's where, you know, he kind of invented this fancy force bond, right? And <laughs> fancy force bond. <laughs> but like, y- you know what I mean? And, yeah. it, and yes, we had to earn this connection. We had to get here. But it's really interesting that he would say, you know, Ray had to earn this connection as well. Because I think that he's talking about the audience here, but also Ray. And it's it's just really interesting. And I, I'm still kind of wrestling with the wording. What do you think about it? Yeah, I I think it's a really interesting word choice as well. Because I think it's, you know, the Raylo community has really... I don't think they ever thought that, you know, if you're a Raylo shipper, obviously you're going to read these interactions as romantic. You don't have to, but... Um, as Raylo shippers, I feel like they never expected to come this far in the Kylo and Rey relationship in The Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. They always, I, f- I feel, at least the dialogue that I've read from kind of before The Last Jedi came out um, was that, you know, they thought it was going to be just a little bit of this connection that was going on between them. And then it would really be built upon in episode nine. Um, and so I, what I kind of took away from this was like, how is Ryan going to cram this huge transition in their relationship from enemies to allies, whatever they are, um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they are at the end of the film? How, because it seems like such this insurmountable bridge to cross um, from where we are at the first Force Awakens. And it's like, how are you going to do that? Well, you have to get them to talk. What are they going to talk about to really earn this moment when Ray is at her most vulnerable? The person she chooses to come to is Kylo, not Luke. You know, I think the hope is that the audience is going along with Ray in this journey and at the end of it, like wants her to reach out to him and to save him. And I think, I think by and large, a lot of people did want that. Um, And then, you know, once we get into the ending of Last Jedi, I think people's opinions kind of change a little bit for good reason, I think. Um, Obviously, it's not how our opinions on their connection changed. But yeah, I think it was like, how do we get them from enemies 
to where this weird place they're in at the at you know at the hand touch scene and make it believable in the amount of time that these characters are given together. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Like yeah. how like I, I don't I don't think I've met someone who didn't completely buy that they would be at this point where they would talk to each other. I do think it is I mean, I know that people have questions about like, you know, she goes to this place after like yelling at him about uh like why'd you kill your father and everything and then she goes to the cave and then she comes back and then she talks to Kylo. And I think I, I know that people have like a little bit like they're a little hung up about what where does that transition lie? And I to me that transition is very easy. It's um Ray found out that Kylo wasn't lying about what had happened in that hut that night or that Luke was concealing something. Mm -hmm. And she had to go find her own answers. And when she found out, you know, Kylo's own truth, she also wanted to find hers. So when she comes back, Mm -hmm. her own truth or this feeling of like not being able to find her own truth, then of course she's not going to go to Luke because that's not where she would find that sort of comfort or that conversation, that honesty that clearly Kylo was giving her before. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, 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 it's really insane to me how we get to this point because yeah. it is so believable to me. And it's like, yep, honestly, I might've done the same thing. Like I could have done the same thing. That's what I would do. I mean, I would always turn to Adam Driver above anyone else in the world <laughs> if I had the option. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's – yeah, like that whole scene before she goes into the mirror cave I think is is really intriguing from their conversation. It's like they're both having two different convers- – like they're both having separate conversations with each other. Like Ray is keeps pushing this whole like Han Solo thing, which obviously Kylo doesn't really want to talk about. So he's going to talk about her weak moment, which is about her parents. And she doesn't want to talk about that, but she can't avoid it to the point. And then they like eventually circle back around to this whole thing with Luke. It's just like it's a it's a really interesting conversation that covers a lot of ground, addresses a lot of their weaknesses. Um, and it's like things that Luke hasn't really recognized about Rey when it comes to like her parents and where she comes from, but Kylo already knows that about her. And mm-hmm. from The Force Awakens, you know, you're so alone, you're so afraid to leave Jakku, all that stuff. Like he already knows that about her and is seeing like the pattern repeat and how she wants to attach herself to Han and to Luke. And what he says about Han in The Force Awakens, you know, he would have disappointed you. It's the same thing with Luke. And he's mm-hmm. like, they like they failed me. Why do you think they're not going to do the same thing to you? Um, yeah. And to a certain extent, he's right, but he's also wrong. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. It's a uh, the, the way that it's so complicated and it's so layered. And I really hope that that layering continues in Episode Nine because they covered so much ground in the Last Jedi. Totally agree. So let's talk about the Ray and Luke fight. Okay. And the, do you want to read this quote? You're much better at reading than I am. Yeah, sure. So this is right after the hut scene um, when Ray and Luke are fighting. You just said that. Um, and this is Ryan Johnson again, obviously. Um, he's the only one on the commentary. It says, this appeal that she makes to him, to Luke, this is important. This felt like, um, for me, Kylo, and everyone's going to have their own read of it when they watch it. 
But the way, and by the way, I'm recording this before we release the movie, so I haven't heard what anyone actually thinks about this. But for me, there is some kind of primal connection between Ray and Kylo. And it has to do with the fact that they're on opposite poles. And he's kind of, you know, a hateful character. And she's kind of this incredibly good character. The fact that they're the only ones who have this power in the movie and they're on these two opposite islands, there's this connection between them. Beyond that, though, I needed to have her have an actual viable justification for her. Why would she go and think she can turn him and lay it out for Luke that if I do that, this could actually win the day? So that scene felt very, very important to me. Yeah, and I completely agree. Like with Ryan's sentiment, it is, I think, you know, such a turning point in the movie that I honestly feel like is kind of being glossed over in a lot of discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of epic when she kind of, when she really rails into Luke. It, it's like, yeah, girl, <laughs> get what you want. It's awesome. <laughs> but I, the thing that really struck me about this line was the word primal connection. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think about this line in the novelization, which we didn't really talk about, and I don't have the novelization near me right now, but it is the line is something about how, you know, the, the energy between Luke and uh, Kylo and Ray was like a live wire. And um, I, I think that there's something so, you know, kind of crazy about their, their connection and everything that um, – I, I don't know. I, I was struck by the primal term. <laughs> it's interesting. It really does give it this like grander connection. This, I mean, what we talked about with the novelization, like the destiny of the cosmic force vibe to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I kind of, I feel like that's kind of what I took away from it. But I think, um, I don't know, just the the whole conversation that's always like surrounded the connection between Kylo and Ray and how you think they're really opposite. Um, but really there's like this really thin line between them. I like drew this like stupid metaphor that might not make sense to any of you. So just bear with me. But it's like, I don't know. I think it's like all about perspective and like point of view of these two characters and the new perspective they get of each other, really Ray of Kylo, I think. Um, But it's like, you know, when you look at a map and you look at like California and Japan, if you're only looking one way, you think they're really far apart, like Japan to California, but if you go like across Europe and the United States, you're like, oh my God, that's so far away. But as soon as you like switch your perspective just a little bit, you see that, oh my God, they're really not that far away at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like, I don't know, it kind of made sense for me when I was thinking about Ray and Kylo too. It's like you think they're these enemies and they are to a certain extent at the start of Force Awakens. But it's like once they turn around and see each other in a different light, suddenly they're not that different. Now have all these similarities. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, there, there's not that much that separates them. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really interesting. Um, another thing that I thought was really interesting about this quote was the very end there um, where Ryan says, I needed her to have, I needed to have her and give her an actual viable justification for why she's going to Kylo Ren. And we talked about this, I think, in one of the very first responses to The Last Jedi about Rey's motivation in this scene. And like, Mm -hmm. what is her motivation? Is it to, is it purely for Kylo? Is it for the resistance? Um, Because if it's just for the resistance, I don't know, it kind of lessens their connection for me. And maybe it is just for the resistance. um, But I don't know. It was something I know I was thinking a lot about. But I think this kind of, it's almost like she's, I feel like for her, it's maybe more about her personal connection to Kylo at this point and her frustration that Luke lied to her effectively about what happened between Luke and Kylo. 
but mm-hmm. she's like giving a reason for Luke. Um, that's more than just the connection. It's like, no, I'm not doing this just because like I know him now. This is all like this is really for the resistance. You know, like, don't you agree? I don't know. What do you think? No, I completely agree. I think that it's really important in this scene for Ray to have a clear directive. And I think that there's also what you just said about how, like, if it's just for the resistance and it lessens it, because of course, yes, it is for the resistance. It is for her friends. She, like, sees that end game of this is how we'll win. She says that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's, like, a little bit of, like, the fact that now she's learned about the force and she's still learning about the force, she really does kind of think that there's, she has a place in, you know, maybe Kylo Ren's story because of her connection or something. And that's, that's her reasoning for going. It's not just, um, it's not only the resistance, but I'm kind of thinking a little bit more about like the will of the force and the cosmic force Mm -hmm. and how potentially she thinks that like, Oh, like the force is like in out of balance. Like I need to go help that. Mm -hmm. And uh, in like, this is how we'll win just in the same way. And she says the scenes before in the same way that like Luke turned Darth Vader back to the good. Mm -hmm. And, um, just before we move on a little bit, I did find that line because I do have the last Jedi <laughs> novelization <laughs> next to me. <laughs> you lied to us earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The connection between them was so raw and powerful that it reminded her of touching a live wire in the wreckage of a starship. Um, I'll go on. She had closed her <laughs> eyes, opened them, and found Kylo Ren there, right next to her where she sat on the stone bench, as if she could actually reach out and touch his hand, his face, his hair. Everyone is so obsessed with Adam Driver's hair, and I'm with you guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, um, I just – I think that there's really something, like, at this point, all the creators are kind of driving home that there's something, like, so kind of magical in a way about their connection. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. Well, even if you go back to some of the initial promo material for The Last Jedi where it was all of that snow glide of, you know, fulfill your destiny – and then, mm-hmm. too, I think it was the – is it the Japanese where they I had that, that like f- like a family tree or something like that? And it was like, <laughs> how are Rey and Kylo connected? And then um, they have – there's like something about fate, too. It's like a word that's put like literally between the two of them. <laughs> I completely forgot about that until you just brought that up. Yeah. Oh, my God. I need to go revisit that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like they – it was weird because I feel like in the U.S. they really kind of kept that connection under wraps and then mm-hmm. – or at least tried to. I, it was under wraps for me <laughs> um, until <laughs> that first trailer came out where I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. <laughs> uh, but then I feel like maybe in other in international promo material, they kind of hinted at it a little bit more. So I don't know. They're definitely – Ryan was definitely playing around with this idea of destiny and who these characters are. So I, I wonder how J.J. will – build on that definitely um i also wanted to say a little bit in our next quote about dj and i know we never really talk about dj on the <laughs> show which is really that. funny like, do sky talkers even know who dj is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes we and i actually genuinely kind of like dj now and i've grown to like him a little bit more than i did in the first the first viewing um but caitlin do you want to read the next quote yeah <laughs> making you read all the quotes tonight That's fine. do you let's see should i read them both or just the one at the bottom yeah read them both okay. read them both right. again this is ryan johnson <laughs> 
I was very conscious of this idea of scoundrels in Star Wars, whether it's Han or whether it's Lando, we've been conditioned to see them, quote unquote, come around. With DJ, I knew I didn't want that to happen. I wanted him to follow through and stick to his guns and completely sell the heroes out. The notion of writing that a bit and opening up your sympathy for a character with, oh, you think he's a jerk here when he takes Rose's necklace and then turning it around and he gives it back to her seems very appealing. And then a different quote a little later on. Also, with the DJ character, having him express something that felt a little dangerous bringing into the Star Wars world, but it felt right doing it. This kind of true cynicism of talking about the machine behind war, bringing that in as something that Finn has um, the weight of when he's considering if a fight is something he's going to commit to. This kind of perspective of none of it matters. He's just trying to make money. Obviously, Rose is the antidote to that, proving that there is stuff worth fighting for in the wor- in the world. And then this last quote is from the director in the Jedi documentary about DJ, where he says, DJ kind of has this scoundrel Han Solo thing, and the audience thinks he's going to have this heart of gold, but he doesn't. So I was really struck by this. And I, I know, again, it's surprising, right? But I think that there's something about the DJ character that is so interesting because we finally have this character that kind of embodies how the world is not black and white in the same way that we have seen in so in the past okay the prequels do a really good job of kind of showing this huge like machine of Palpatine and how he has taken control of something that was maybe good, maybe bad, but kind of using it for his own gain. Mm -hmm. And we have the whole, I'm going to use Ryan's two favorite words, the notion of heroes on both sides (laughs) in the prequels. And that is really like a huge theme throughout the prequels and not just like those movies, but also the Clone Wars. And the Clone Wars really got to, you know, expand upon this idea of heroes on both sides is like a theme of so many of the episodes. Like honestly might as well be the theme of the Clone Wars. Yeah. And, I I think that it was, you know, when we have when we have things like the Clone Wars in in the back of our cultural subconscious about Star Wars, we understand a lot more about the prequels and the government and the politics of Star Wars in general. And I think that understanding that not all things are good and not all things are bad um is kind of at the heart of Star Wars in a way that like wasn't necessarily completely defined, right? Mm-hmm. Until in yes, it was defined in these Clone Wars episodes, but we had so much time with those. We mm-hmm. had these this ability to go down these lanes and these avenues and explore these different sets of characters and different like honestly like different sects of like the government and everything that kind of explored that a mm-hmm. little bit. And now with the sequel trilogy, we have all that history behind us, and we we understand that things are really complicated in the Star Wars, and we can now have these characters like DJ that prove to us that you know, in kind of he he completely spells out how the good guys, the bad guys, uh, they're all doing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And of course. Ryan now has this ability to kind of turn this like scoundrel what we know on his head, like he said, and he's going to completely sell them out. And he does. And I think that we needed that because we needed a character like this. We needed someone who wasn't like Hondo, who was helping the good guys, even though he was like a, a pirate or Han Solo, who was, you know, a pirate in, in his own right, but always had that heart of gold. And DJ is kind of 
in my head, this embodiment of like this idea that was really expanded upon in the Clone Wars and honestly, even in Rebels and just like in all these like supplemental materials of Star Wars in a way that it's it's so refreshing to me to see it on screen. And now I, I know I'm monologuing, but <laughs> even just to now I'm, I'm just thinking about even like Saw Gerrera and mm-hmm. how Saw Gerrera was like kind of an example of like someone taking a good idea and pushing it too far. And it's it's not the same to me as DJ, but I do think that it's a it's a similar type of character where um, we really desperately want these people to be good. But at the end of the day, like they're not all good. And I, I don't know. I just think that it's it's really a theme, I think, in The Last Jedi. And I'm really happy that The Last Jedi went there with this character who taught Rose and Finn a lot and also, you know, was pretty good in giving back that necklace and everything. And I, when that moment happened, I was like, oh, and that's exactly what you're supposed to think. You're supposed to think like, oh, like he's really helping them. It's, it's going right. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I, 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 I just feel like it took a lot for us to get a character here that was like this. And it, I, in a, in a way, I feel like it's all in part due to everything that has come before us in Star Wars history. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a really great monologue. Uh, <laughs> there's not even a whole lot I can add to it, except that I totally agree. Retweet. Um, you can really only have a character like DJ because you have the history of the rest of Star Wars to fall back on. And you have characters like Luke who are um, laying out the history of the Jedi as they perceive it to like kind of remind you that these you know, these things have been in motion for a really long time too. And and even with the prequels, it was like, it wasn't so much about, with the prequel films itself, I feel like it wasn't so much about heroes on both sides, but rather just this example of just how manipulative Palpatine was over this whole thing. And also about mm-hmm. seeing how the Jedi had fallen short of, of our expectations and their own expectations of who they should be. Whereas with the Clone Wars, I mean, absolutely, it was about heroes on both sides, but then how they were all being manipulated by Palpatine, um, even the Separatists. Like, no one was winning this war. The only person winning was Palpatine. Um, mm-hmm. And But then, like, kind of going through, like, things like Rebels and with Rogue One and a um, really interesting connection with Saw Gerrera there. I was like, when's the last time we talked about Saw Gerrera on this show? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, DJ, you, you couldn't have had – like, he couldn't have had that kind of um, – explanation of who he was I feel like it wouldn't have been as succinct as it was in the film if we hadn't had everything that comes before it and that's really one of the strengths of Star Wars now is that it can play with its own history which is kind of cool I think you're not going to see that I mean what other franchise do you see that in Um, yeah it's so self-referential yeah maybe Doctor Who I mean Doctor Who has the time to do that like like the time of content to do that. So maybe that's the only one. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I I don't need to see any more of DJ in future films. I liked him in this film. Um, I really liked Ryan's comments about him. Again, it's like all about subverting expectations. You think DJ is going to come in at the end like Han Solo does. He doesn't. You think Kylo is going to be this bad guy. He's not entirely. Um, you think Luke's going to be the hero and he's not. It's all about subverting your expectations going into this film. And I think DJ, you know, 
does that also for himself and too for this concept of war and like a good reminder that war is, war is good for the economy for some people. <laughs> yep. The canto biters. <laughs> the canto biters. <laughs> it sounds like a sports team. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It's like a little league softball team. <laughs> the Canto, and here come the Canto Biters. <laughs> Look at their chompers, and like their mascot is like one of those those big teeth, those mouths that you like wind up. You know what I'm talking about? That yep. have like the little feet on them. That's their mascot. <laughs> yeah, it's a good mascot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right, and then the next quote is about Kylo and Ray seeing each other for the first time on the supremacy. And Ryan, a little bit in this area, talks about how they almost cut the coffin scene, but ultimately decided to keep it in because, quote, there's something about them seeing each other for the first time. So I always thought this was, I mean, I thought this was really interesting that he, like, wrestled with keeping this in or not, because to me, it's such an important little scene. And to me, this also reminded me of like a couple things like personally, like obviously Kylo and Ray have met, but it was on different circumstances and things have totally changed now. And when Ray and Kylo see themselves, see each other for the first time, like IRL, it really does kind of remind me a little bit about like our online friends or like friends that we've made online. And like when we see them for the first time, it's like, it's kind of kind of freaky and it's like how's it gonna go no one really knows ah you know Mm -hmm. and it's like that little bit of anxiety that you feel for ray in that moment and like honestly maybe even kylo too and it's it it was just really interesting and i'm glad he kept it in yeah no i i completely agree i thought that i really liked your your metaphor of like online friends is is this gonna be the same um and i think they're both kind of feeling that too especially ray it's like oh Okay, I really did this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I'm here. I'm showing up in a coffin. I'm really and here. Uh, I hope this is not a mistake. Yeah, and it's like the first chance she gets when they're alone in that elevator. She's like, okay, here's my pitch. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It, it, um, I like how you describe that though. Like the like, here's her pitch because we talk a lot about her pitch to Luke at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. too, and how it's like very rehearsed and you know. Kylo Ren is very strong in the dark side and the resistance needs you to upset me. But with with Kylo, it's so much more – I don't want to say relaxed because obviously they're not in a relaxed situation. But it's like – It's no, genuine. It's Yeah, it's so yeah, it's so much more genuine. It, it comes from a more vulnerable place, a more intimate place of like knowing who he is now on a deeper level. Not completely because obviously she was misguided in, in thinking that all it would take would be for her to come and that would – you know, solve mm-hmm. all their problems. Um, it was much deeper than that. Um, but it, yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting the difference between the two pitches. I like how you describe that. Um, in the same vein, the moment of the like <laughs> what we call the marriage proposal, but you know, the whole join me scene mm-hmm. with Kylo and Ray. Um, Ryan's commentary overhead is this moment right here. His please always kills me. It's very important. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's really important because that final please is – well, I just saw, dropped my Leia pin. It's fine. Um, that, final, <laughs> that, that final please is like the shred of Ben Solo. Mm-hmm. And it is really important because if we didn't get that like extremely sad, really desperate please, 
I don't know if I would have felt the same way as I do about that that scene that I do now. Mm-hmm. It's like we that that shred of humanity that like mask is coming off and that like it really desperate like he even like moves a little bit forward with his hand. And it's it, it was kind of validating for me to hear Ryan say it's really important because I, I do think it's really important. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And you made a note in here about, um, again, comparing it to the Anakin and Padme's confrontation on Mustafar, which we know that that was a, a big inspiration. Not inspiration, but like Ryan purposefully paralleled these scenes. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't get that same kind of humanity from Anakin in that moment with Padme. Um, because at that moment, no. Anakin is lost. Um, he is lost to the dark side at that moment. He's like 95% dark side on our barometer of dark side. Um, whereas I don't think for Kylo, he's in that same place. Um, and I think that's an important distinction to make. And I think the please kind of uh, emphasizes that too. Um, yeah, you never you never got that like extremely desperate please from Anakin. It was uh, Anakin was completely selfish at that mm-hmm. point and like wasn't thinking about Padme, wasn't thinking about her safety at all. Yeah. And um yeah, I just I think it's it's great that 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 Ryan has like underscored how important that please is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in that whole scene, you really see the range of Kylo's emotions, you know, like right when he's just staring at Snoke's body and like what's going on, this like complete fear about what the next step is. And then like anger that Ray's not immediately with him. And then just like with that, please, like desperation of like, oh my God, yeah. please like don't, don't go. <laughs> um and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting scene. I think it really goes nicely with the next quote, actually, in regards to Kylo. Um, Ryan says, my goal for this movie in regards to Kylo was always twofold. First of all, it was to kind of get more inside his head and in one way to bring us to, if not sympathy, then to kind of reveal his vulnerabilities through Ray's eyes. So we had to go along with her on that journey without just stonewalling him and saying, screw that guy, he killed Han Solo. We had to bring us closer to him to understand him better. At the same time, I knew that by the end of it, I wanted to bring him closer to being the villain he wanted to be in The Force Awakens to some point. He's not Vader, but he's come into his own as a sort of villain, but hopefully one now that you have, or more importantly, Ray now has a level of understanding of. This quote is so interesting, especially the end of it, about bringing Kylo to the villain he wanted to be in Force Awakens. As Redemption fans... What like what do we? F- Let's walk through this quote. What does it mean? Does, it, does this break down all of our redemption hopes and dreams? Oh What's no, 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 no! I, I know the first time I heard this quote, I was like, "What?" <laughs> I know. I, same. Sometimes when I hear these kind of quotes, I'm like, "Oh my god! Oh no! Everything is wrong." <laughs> Yeah, but that but then I'm like, wait, let's 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 walk it back because it yes, by the end of it, it brings us to brings him closer to being the villain he wanted to be in The Force Awakens. Of course, because now he's supreme leader. Now he is completely unhinged and everything is on his shoulders, right? And he has that sort of control. Whether he like I feel like he Ha- doesn't really know what to do with that mm-hmm. though um and i feel like that is like a big key and i don't know if he's really gonna e- even execute it well clearly he's failing and hux notices um and yeah i think that 
the last line too that you read, he's not Vader, but he's come into his own as a sort of villain, but hopeful, but hopefully a one that now you have, or more importantly, Ray has a level of understanding. And okay, first off, he's not the greatest villain of all time, Vader. In in and the takeaway I take from this is that Ray now knows who this person is. And again, like Ryan had said before, we know what makes him tick. And so does Ray. And that is all going to come into play in episode mm-hmm. nine. Yeah. I mean, it's like Ray ha- now has a level of understanding of him. And so to think that their next meeting in episode nine will look like it did in episode seven in The Force Awakens, I just like, I don't think that no could way. happen. Um, it's, it's got, it's going to be much more loaded. Um, and not in a violent way, in like a hurt way. Like, how could you leave me? And how could you not come with me kind of thing? And like, how could you say those kind of things? Yeah. And like think that I'd come with yeah, you. Yeah, no, exactly. And and it's like, what did you do? You know, and if I feel like Ray and Kylo, they're in each other's head or were, I don't know. I still kind of think about it as present tense, but it's – I, I don't know. I feel like they, they really do understand each other in a, on a different level than any of the characters that we've ever seen in Star Wars. And it, it she she has a clear understanding of his directives, his motives, you know, his wants, his fears. And we see that in the novelization, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't I think that when I see the word like he's be- when I see the words like he's become the villain, I get a little freaked out because that's really not the reading that I saw in The Last Jedi. I think that I saw someone who was completely out of control and maybe that is a villain. I guess it is a villain, but someone who like has zero authority, I think. Like he's on I think he's honestly like on a leash by Hux. And it's I don't know. I, I get a little freaked out, but then at the same time, I really think that it's so important that Ryan said, you know, Ray has a level of understanding mm-hmm. of him. I think this. Um, I think it's really important how Ryan said, you know, closer to him being the villain he wanted to be in Force Awakens, um, because in Force Awakens we see mm-hmm. him saying things like, "I can, I can get this from Ray with your training, Snoke." Um, like he's advocating for that completion of training and like with Han Solo it's like when he killed Han Solo it was like I can do it with your guidance like show me Snoke teach me grandfather that kind of thing I think that and that's what he's been told he should be he's the heir to the dark lord um heir to Vader you know those that's who he should be and I think it's you know now that he has it it should be like everything's hunky-dory he can now fulfill his destiny as supreme leader of the first order but that's not really what he wants because Kylo has never gotten a choice in what he's doing with his life. He's just been pushed from one camp to another um, forcibly. And of course, Kylo made his own decisions, but he was manipulated by a lot of people too. It wasn't just his choice, just like it wasn't just the manipulation. There are shades of both in all of his decisions, I think. Um, and it, it kind of, I read this uh, on a couple of episodes ago about The Last Jedi, but it really too reminds me of Postcards from the Edge with Carrie, Fish, Carrie Fisher's book and how in one of the scenes she writes when, when her character is in the drug clinic, she writes about how, um, you know, I have it all. Why don't I feel like I have it all? Um, why can't I mm-hmm. actually have it all? Um, 
all of my like environment looks like I have everything I want, but it's not actually what I want and I don't know how to make it what I want. Obviously, she says it a lot more eloquently. <laughs> um, but I think it's – I and I remember reading that and it reminded me of Kylo and seeing this too also kind of reminds me of Kylo and of that quote too. It's like he has it all, but it's not what he wants anymore. Um, and he mm-hmm. nothing in Forso in The Last Jedi – really comes to him like wanting like he doesn't ask Snoke for more training. He doesn't say like I'll get Skywalker. I mean he does he does say it at the beginning in the first force connection with Ray, but we never see anything else like that again from him. And he never like brings it up again of her bringing Luke to him. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think yeah, totally. I don't think that's what he really wants at the end of it. Yeah, I don't either. And We've we've talked about this a lot too. Like I, I just feel like, yeah, it's really interesting. I can't wait for nine. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then our last quote is about Rose, which kind of feels like a weird place to end, given like all of our Kylo feels and Ray feels. Um, but the last <laughs> quote um, is about Rose, and. The quote is, the feeling of Rose coming in and saving the day and the audience feeling relief. I wanted the audience to feel that. And he's talking about the very end when Rose saves Finn and then says, you know, this is how we win, not by finding what we hate, but by saving what we love. That, again, I think that's like one of those really meta moments for the film, for the audience is like, at the end of the day, that's what Star Wars is about. It's not about fighting. It's about loving. (laughs) What's ironic to me is that it makes me really sad is how many people walked away from this movie not feeling that sense of relief um, of Finn's like being saved by Rose. And I, I can't imagine that because I, I want all my heroes to be happy (laughs) (laughs) and, and not make stupid choices that they think they need to make. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that is, I feel like I just summed up how I want Star Wars to be. <laughs> I want all my heroes and my favorite characters to be happy. And I want them to realize that they don't have to make these stupid choices that they think they need to. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's like what Dave Filoni said about the end of Rebels. He's like, people always say they really want these like intense, tragic endings, but they don't really. <laughs> they think they yeah. do, but they don't. And it's like Luke Skywalker's death was earned. Um, it was like a necessary mm-hmm. sacrifice for the film um whereas and they said this in the film too when finn was like i've got it i've got it and poe's like no you don't like it's already charged you can't do it um it like it'll be pointless if you do this um but he still wants to do it like nothing good would have come out of that death um whereas something good does come out of luke's death and to that end something good will come out of han's death at the end of all this too i believe Okay, well, I think that's going to wrap up our commentary discussion, but I just wanted to say a quick thing about the music-only version, which is available, I think now it's available on iTunes. So if you have the the digital code, I think you'll be able to watch it. I'm not sure what versions it's available on on the Blu-ray, but I watched it. I think it's awesome. Caitlin has not watched mm-hmm. it, so I'm just giving my like mini review. Um, I think it's awesome and I hope it becomes a trend. I really want every movie, just the music versions. And 
it's beautiful to hear John Williams's music unfiltered. And what I came away with it realizing was how many scenes in this movie actually didn't have music, which is funny. Um, because I, and I feel like those, those scenes didn't need music and it just kind of underscored to me how important it was to let the silence speak. And of course I'm talking about the Haldo maneuver, but I'm also kind of talking about the Kylo and Ray scenes that were so zeroed Mm -hmm. in, so focused and they're kind of, they're kind of two of the same situations, right? Where one, you're supposed to really understand like the complete sacrifice that Haldo just made and how like this will have like a rippling effect throughout the galaxy hopefully and i feel like in this in the same vein you might as well understand like a similar thing about the kylo and ray thing but you're all supposed to realize that the intimacy of the moment and you're supposed to think about only their voices and only their faces and um it was just it was really clear to me that you know john williams is like such a master and it was man his score is so brilliant also one of the things that like blew my mind (laughs) (laughs) was the fact that the opera singer like the person (laughs) that like the 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 weird alien during the father chase sequence that like they zero in on that looks like a giant bug (laughs) that is part of john williams's score when it happened i was like wait what the singing because it was like you go through the entire movie, you hear no dialogue. But when that happens, you're like, "Whoa, a <laughs> <It's> voice!" <there. laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm really excited to watch the music only version. I feel like this is something that George Lucas probably really loves. Again, another reason why George Lucas is like pro Ryan Johnson. <laughs> um, I feel like this is something Luke Lucas would have really wanted for his films too. Um, because George has said a number of times throughout about like the prequels too and throughout the original trilogy, but especially in the prequels that you should be able to like just hear the music and it should be able to tell you what you need to know um, in cooperation like with the visuals mm-hmm. and with the sound effects. Totally. And I, I, that's kind of what I was alluding to. Like, I really want to watch Attack the Clones and Revenge of the Sith with just the music. Mm-hmm. I feel so like good. that would be so a good. fantastic so experience. Good. Yeah. And I, I want it so yeah. bad. So rather than the re-release of the original films in their like unspecialized editions, give us the music-only versions. I feel like that's a more attainable goal. Mm-hmm. And I, it was my understanding that Ryan really pushed for mm-hmm. this too. He said that at South by Southwest. And again, it just kind of goes to the whole theme basically of this episode about how um, Ryan is such a careful and uh, generous creator, I think, with all this behind-the-scenes footage mm-hmm. and extras. And this was definitely no exception to that. Yeah, exactly. I'm really excited to watch it. Maybe we'll – I don't know. We got we got to find a way to talk about music on our show because we both really love it. So one day yeah. we'll figure that we out. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Well – I think that's going to wrap up our episode. Um, I feel like this has just been like one big love letter to Ryan Johnson. So <laughs> sincerely, Caitlin and Charlotte. <laughs> Dear Ryan Johnson. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. As always, again, a reminder, we have our survey that's going to be up on our website and on our Twitter and in the show notes. 
Again, it'll only take you a couple of minutes. So if you have a second, we would really appreciate it if you filled it out. Um, and yeah, if you also like what you hear and want to go on iTunes and review us, please do that. It really helps our show out as well. And you know where to find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or SkyTalkers.com or on our personal Twitters. All of that information you can find on SkyTalkers.com. And I just want to read off our awesome patrons, Neil, Joanna, Lynn, Courtney, James, Brad, Brian, Diana, Susanna, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Matt, Jim, Suara, BJ, Ryan, Amy, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Lauren, Serene, Cherie, Kyle, Aaron, Stuart, Derek, Connie, Delaney, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, Syntax, Era, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. You're awesome. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And with that, we will see you next time. So may the force be with you. May the force be with you.